Live. We are live. Um, I'm notoriously bad at cold opens. <laughs> so uh, usually when it's me and Dead Palette, we just talk about either he talks about Metal Gear or I talk about some bullshit anime that I've watched recently or something along those lines. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really a struggle. Oh yeah, I mean I'm not. I haven't watched anime in a while. Oh, I've I've probably be the one that has watched a bit more anime recently than than actually Phil doesn't watch any anime. So I mean, I like Guyver. That's about as far as it goes. Guyver. What was the other one? Uh, oh, Key the Metal Idol. I've never even seen that. So me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 not I'm not like a I'm not like a huge anime person by any stretch of the imagination. But um, I mean, I I watch the stuff that people say I should watch, and mm-hmm. um, and that's like. You know, it, it just it just abuses me. I actually find I don't have as much time to uh, watch stuff in general. I've been way behind on things, and everyone's like, "Why aren't you watching this?" Because I have things to do, guys. Well, I mean, a lot a lot of it also has to do with like a lot of anime is a bit of a time sink. So, oh yeah, t- TV in general, honestly. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I I've totally forsaken the idea of television for YouTube. <laughs> you, I I kind of agree with you there. <laughs> It, so many things on YouTube, and it's at it's at the mercy of your click and your your curiosity. Yeah. So it's like, what do you do in your spare time? Watch YouTube videos. Yeah. It's like, cute. there's gonna be a cute <laughs> cat channel one day, not on YouTube on TV. It's like, so we need to get those YouTube watchers. We need to get them watching TV again. It's not cats playing with items twenty four seven. Well, that's why I, that's why I have like uh, what was it a web soup and yeah like a. Uh, was it Tosh Point? Tosh Point, oh yeah. Shit, web soup? That derived from Talk Soup from the 90s, didn't it? That's yeah, it was a well, I mean, they, Talk Soup. Because uh, there the, there's the soup on E. Yeah. Um, it was. Well, uh, before then, it was Talk Soup. Yeah. And that was where they took all of the stupid daytime TV shows and highlighted the quote unquote best parts and then do social commentary on it. It was almost like. It was Tosh.0 before Tosh.0 and before like, the internet was like, a thing that you use mm. to. Get with people on such a vast scale. How long have they been? Uh, do you know how long they've been doing the puppy bowl? Out of curiosity, because I wonder if that was puppy in correlation bowl? to the internet. Do you know about the puppy bowl? Yeah, I, I've seen the puppy bowl. I am a planet. Um, I <laughs> love that shit. I'm I, sure. It's, I'm sure it's like right when YouTube like made puppy videos popular. That probably popped up. <laughs> I just know I'm, I'd rather watch the Puppy Bowl personally than the Super Bowl, but that's me. <laughs> that's just me. I don't watch sports either, I understand. Ah, it's all good. Well, uh, now that we've gotten the, the banter, some of the banter out of the way, um, let's just go ahead and move forward into another fantastic episode of Undercooked Analysis. I am David King. I am not related to Stephen King. I just have an uncle in Maine who would be really mad if he heard me say that. Uh, joining me tonight on uh, Undercooked Analysis are some people you might have heard of, and if you care about creepypasta, you should hear about them. Uh, this I have with me the some of the uh, collective of Frosted Mini Fears. You guys Whoa. want to introduce yourselves? What's up, Eminem? Thanks for having us. Eminem. Yeah. Eminem. Oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah, that's you. Yeah, uh, my name's Phil. I shoot and edit all the uh, Frosted Mini Fears episodes. I'm uh, Chad Garcia. I'm the writer... Uh, producer, sometimes creative director. I'm Efren Aguilera. I am the main voice actor for the for the channel. Excellent. Yeah, Man, I got I, I lucked out. Like 
Guys, seriously, I lucked out. These guys are great. I <laughs> ever since I first found them, I was like, oh, I want, I want, I want, I want them to notice me. Sen- senpai's, senpai's noticed me. Senpai so. totally noticed you. <laughs> hey, hey, good. <laughs> I got the letters. I was stuffed in my locker. Oh, I'm, yeah. Sorry about that. Maybe I was a little belligerent there. I just, you know, just did. Did you did you like the little hearts I drew though? I did. I did. Okay, I, that's good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah. So basically, uh, for those of you not in the know, these guys, yeah, they do they do cool little uh, short films uh, based around uh, you know, usually the shorter uh, creepypasta stories or little little anecdotal kind of things. Um, you might know if if. For those uh, frequent listeners, probably know that my de facto co-host, Dead Palette, does uh, his own kind of weird, short uh, stuff like that. But um, I, from what I've been led to understand, you guys, both of you guys, have a common uh, inspiration, and that's the Little Fears. Yeah, yeah. She uh, she was, uh, when we first started the channel, it only happened because she went away, and uh, I saw a gap of... Um, I guess a gap of quality in the community. Not to be an asshole like that. But there was there were there were there were videos that we could do, and I, I directly copied and pasted a link. I said to Phil immediately, I was like, "Can we do this?" And uh, he was like, "Yeah, but a lot better." Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's really how it started. Uh, at that time, it was it was. Um, I guess everyone was on board at that point, but but at that point it was. Mostly Phil, I, and Sal, who were, you know, completing the idea of what what we wanted to make the channel be like. Yeah, it took us a couple of years to uh, find our footing, find our, our groove, find our style. But mm-hmm. uh, I think this last batch of videos we did this third season is like our some of the best stuff we've ever done. Oh yeah, I, I have to I have to agree with you there. Um, I've I've really dug uh, the content you've been putting out lately, or in this last season, and and like I've I told uh, I've told people before, I'm not the person who's just like give me more things all the time. Why isn't there a new thing now? You know, quality content takes time, and so seeing you guys put all that up and in such like short proximity is actually really impressive. So, um, like, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Oh well, I, oh well, I'm trying. Well. Oh, yeah, and I, so so, I like out of curiosity, how did you guys like uh, meet each other in the first place? Like, I wanted I want to hear some origin stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a dark and stormy night, just like tonight. Oh, and you uh, completed a creative writing course, right? <laughs> oh. Um, <laughs> honest, a lot of us we we just kind of been friends since like high school for the most part, mm-hmm. and have done like other video projects in the past and whatnot. And when the idea for Frosty Mini Fears came up, it was kind of like, well, he can—he has a bassy voice, and he can write, and I have gear, and I know what I'm doing. If we combine our powers, you know, it's it basically with the three of us sitting around. It's like, all right, well, I got a whole bunch of peanut butter. You got some jelly. You got a bunch of bread. Are we going to sit around all day? We're going to make some sandwiches. Bam, Frosty Mini Fears. <laughs> you, just, you went to make sandwiches and instead somehow got some sugary cereal confection. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't even want to know how what mad science caused that to happen. <laughs> or, a lot uh, of chemical X. A lot of chemical X. Oh yes, <laughs> chemical X. <laughs> in 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 uh, in vast supply. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what I suggest, and actually, one of the things we're going to be covering tonight has been something I've wanted had on my radar for a little while, but uh, haven't touched on. And then recently, someone, and I I won't say who. 
although I should, I just don't remember. Someone was like, hey, so are you going to be covering this this particular story some point soon? And I'm like, funny you mentioned that. It's on the immediate uh, roster of things I'm going to do soon. So I present to you, and you may now click the link I sent you. Woo! All right. Woo! I present to you Lister's Rage. And I thought this would be a fun one to do with you guys because it does have to do with film. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I won't give you, you any preconceptions about how I feel about this story. Uh, the best way to do this is to go into it cold. Uh, every so often we can pause it if we want to talk about uh, how we feel. But uh, popcorn style. So each of us will take a, each person will go paragraph at a time. Um, and I don't know what order you guys are going to handle it on your end, but uh, I know once that order is done, I will I will speak. Okay. Um. Uh, will you go first, or should I go first, or? Uh, well, um, I would like you know if I I think I should give my guests the opportunity to go first. So uh, yeah, just uh, fight amongst yourselves and decide who's going to read. <laughs> no problem. All right. Form an orderly queue behind the monitor. Is that better? Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Friends, so, so you guys can you you three can read the first uh, three paragraphs and then I'll I'll follow suit. Okay, I guess I'll just start. Um, what was this called? Lister's Reich. Lister's Reich. I think Rage. that's how you pronounced it. Rage. Lister's Reich. 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 Okay. <clears throat> it may be hard to believe for those of us born in the digital age. When every embarrassing moment could be potentially uploaded to YouTube for posterity, like but an estimated 70% of all films of the silent era are thought to be lost. Of the silent film directors, those whose works have largely vanished, perhaps the most intriguing, at least for me, is the director, is the German director, Kai Wickelman, 1887-1926. Although influential in his own era, he has since been largely forgotten, for reasons which I believe will become readily apparent if you read further in this article. Uh, so, real quick thoughts on this? Uh, this I, I like to I like to go with the opening paragraph and then be like, okay, so what do you think so far? <laughs> so, so I really like I like when, and of course, this is like supposed to be pasta's thing, right? Yeah. You put yourself. You, you solidify a realism beforehand, right? Right. And what they're saying is completely true, that most of the film from that era has been burned and lost, right? This is uh, why we have uh, the uh, that silent film, what was it called? Metropolis? Yeah, Metropolis. That's yeah. completely, you know, it's like 40 per- it, it ranges about almost three hours now, I think. I think mm-hmm. three hours. It's so like 30% of it's missing still. <laughs> you know, it's still, it's still going, you know. They're still they're still finding they're still finding bits and pieces of it to help restore it. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Yeah, yeah. So it, it I, I think it's working. I think it cements uh, the idea. It, like you know, puts you in the puts you in the zone. And I like that it's it's a little bit. I mean, other than the eye with you know um, of any particular interest to me, I like that we, this is still very sort of um, like informational as opposed to like you know someone coming up being like. I know this sounds like a cliche, but trust me, this is something that happened. You know, like this is, I'm a little bit, I usually find like an opening paragraph has to be pretty fair to get me to keep reading. And this one I'm like, okay, well, I like hearing about silent films. And clearly we're going to get some interesting story with this Kai Winkleman fellow. Mm -hmm. All right. So um, that's, that's just my, my two cents right there. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's, it's grounded in, it tries to be grounded in reality. And that's Mm -hmm. like really the important part of, of telling this genre of story. Yeah. 
All right. Let's press on. <laughs> All right. Winkleman was born on September 18th, 1887, in Offenbach, um, Maine, the son of a butcher. He reportedly found the family business very distasteful and did not get along well with his father, who drank heavily. After serving on the Russian front in World War I, a period of Winkleman's life which left him permanently traumatized, Winkleman married a certain Greta Schultz, a nurse whom he had met at a veteran's hospital. He, he moved with her to a home city of Vienna, Austria, where he began making films for the pioneering producer Joe May. Winkleman created many moderately successful films while working for May, several of which survive in a whole or in part. But by far his most successful work was a Lord Lister serial. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's more of the backstory. It's yeah. solidifying <clears throat> where he lives and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, definitely. So it, it, it's working. Uh, we uh, We don't have to necessarily break it down by like every paragraph i just uh every, if, if any if any point anyone feels like pausing and pointing something out like that's kind of what i'm aiming for so um yeah just saying Rob. the lister series based on a series of pulp stories concerning a gentleman thief named lord lister who goes by the nom de guare raffles in the criminal underworld consists of a six episode consists of six episodes each about an hour in length the film bears a somewhat superficial resemblance to their source material. In the original novels, as in the first two episodes of the Lister serial, Lord Lister is a somewhat sympathetic Robin Hood-like figure, a la Aresti Lupin, who rarely commits any particular er- er- Agreed. egregious, that's that word, <laughs> egregious misdeeds. In Winkleman's Lister serials, however, he became a much more sinister figure, a seemingly omnipotent mastermind of crime who is not above rape and mass murder. In the serial, as in the novels, Lord Lister is pursued by a Scotland Yard detective named Baxter. In the early installments of the serial, Baxter is portrayed as a figure of fun and incompetent drunkard who is always outwitted by the master thief. But in the later episodes, Baxter becomes a tragic figure, an honest lawman who is helpless to prevent the atrocities of his implicable persecutor, Lord Lister. Although Lord Lister was played by several different actors, the idea being that his true face was unknown, Detective Baxter was always played by Winkleman's friend and confidant, actor Olaf Schneider. That was beautiful. Oh, thank you. Good job. <laughs> you know, I gotta say, I love Lupin the Third. I'm only liking this already. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. Um, I. Uh, it's funny when that came up, and I in my head, I immediately went Lupin the Third. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. Uh, I love that anime. <laughs> so fun. Uh, I've yet to see um uh one thing uh my girlfriend and I have been talking about is going through and watching all the films that Hayao Miyazaki directed. Yeah. Like in order. That's, and that's, I know he did Caliostro, so I haven't seen that yeah. one yet. Yeah, it's a good one. Um He also uh, Hayao Miyazaki also directed I think it was the first season of Loop on the Third. He he was highly involved in that. Oh he did? That, yeah, that was before um before Ghibli existed, I think it was called Rocket Punch. By the name of the animation studio, might be wrong, but I'm fairly sure he's highly involved in the first season of Lupin the Third, which has a really different tone. Did you watch it in its inception on Cartoon Network when it first, um, first put on Cartoon Network? 
Uh, unfortunately, no. I think I missed a I missed a bunch of it. It was only later I came to Lupin and saw some of it, and I was like, "Oh, this is great." And then I realized it when it aired, and I'm like, I, "There was a period in my life where I had no cable television." So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. When, when I was a kid, <laughs> when I was very young, when I was like eight, uh, <laughs> Lupin first came here. You couldn't call him Lupin. You had to call him Wolf because it was a trademark uh, name from uh, from France. Ah. So without paying. Paying you dues, and so I, that's an interesting thing. I didn't know that part of it. That's uh, that's really yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's wolf, wolf in the castle of Cagliostro. Wolf in the castle. Couldn't they have come up with something better than wolf? Like, I know, yeah, yeah. right, right. Jeez. Oh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll tell you what. I'm gonna take um, this paragraph and then the the paragraph after, and then when we get into the the film list, uh, we can each take one. Okay. So I'll just move us for, moves ahead into that. Olaf Schneider became close friends with Winkleman shortly after the latter began working with Joe May. The two could not be any more different in appearance or in temperament. Schneider was healthy, muscular, and a lover of fast cars and boxing, while Winkleman was a recluse and often in poor health. Nevertheless, the two shared a close relationship, perhaps finding common ground over the tragedies in their respective pasts. Winkleman had had an abusive childhood and was left mentally scarred by his service in World War I, while Schneider's wife had committed suicide in 1918, leaving him to raise their infant daughter alone. The contents of the first five Lister films, insofar as they can safely be reconstructed at all, only one of them survives, and even then, only in an incomplete print, are as follows. That's a little bit of a weirdly structured uh, last paragraph. Yeah, I mean, I I can see what they're doing coming up. They're trying to make an IMDb list, which is actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess if you're just a segue from daughter alone to that, they become even stranger. Yeah, it's really, really for me. It's just the it's just the the wording of that last paragraph. I'm fine with the flow. It's just the like I'm like okay, wait a minute. There's some there's some weird uh, punctuation there. I'm a I, I, you'll have to forgive me. I'm I'm a little bit of I'm a little bit of a nitpicker when it comes. I'm a little bit of a grammar Nazi and a little oh, bit nitpicky. You. When it comes to that, but I can let it slide most of the time. <laughs> I blame Dead Palette for this, by the way. If you're listening to this, you're a hack, and that's why you're not here for this episode. No, I'm just kidding. Is, wait, is, he, is he a stickler me. for that, or, or does he not care? No, he actually doesn't really care that much. Uh, I'm just giving him a hard time. I'm just giving him a hard time because he's not here and he can't defend himself. <laughs> I, I, I've seen his banter. He sent me a, he sent me a, a pasta to read. Yeah, he's pretty he's pretty coherent in his writing. So, oh my god, yeah, he is. Uh, I I I I'm a fan. I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I'm a fan of his work. So, you know, his his work is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm curious I, what he sent you. Oh, um, yeah. Well, you'll hear it soon. I think he uh, he's gonna post it by the end of January. I think he's saying February. He pushed it out to February. I think he pushed it back to February. Oh, is this, February. Oh, is this part of that secret project he's working on? Shifty eyes. Yeah, he's uh, some sort of snow related. Uh, yes, yes. Let's, let's let's not say too much about it here, but don't worry, you guys. I'm involved with that one too. Oh, all right. Yeah. yeah. So we're in the we're in the know here. Everybody. Uh, Dead Palette's got something big coming up, so uh, hopefully pray, pray, think, or you know, sacrifice animals for snow in um in. <laughs> He's Ohio, I believe. It's Ohio. Thank you. Yeah, for as particularly for the west of uh, for Columbus or Chillicothe or wherever he is. He's a mysterious figure. He wanders around. Yeah, no, he, he does get around. 
Uh, <laughs> it really has appeared like in a lot of different places. It's kind of shocking. Yeah, it's 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 actually impressive, like seeing like where he where he goes with some of his videos. But yeah. uh, but speaking of videos, why don't we uh, let's let's dive into this film list and find out what what this is the meat of the pasta right here. Yeah, it is. IMDb list here it comes one. Lister Tritt in Enter Lister. The screenplay of this episode was written by none other than the legendary director, screenwriter Fritz Lang. Oh. In this installment, Lister, who is living under the assumed name Lord William Aberdeen, managed to steal a valuable painting during an art expedition. Eh, exhibition. <laughs> <laughs> the bumbling detective Vasker, uh, Baxter eventually manages to arrest Lister. But the latter escapes, switching identities with the guard in a clever ruse. A spectacular chase scene ensues, during which Lister, of course, escapes. Of course! Of course! Of, of course. course! Don't you know anything about science? <laughs> <laughs> well, so far, it's a, it's a movie. Let's see. Yeah. see, number two, Lister Schladzurik, Lister... It's back. Uh, the film opens with an elaborate scene where Lister steals the pearl necklace off of Duchess, off of a Duchess's neck at opera uh, at the opera house. Shortly thereafter, Lister boldly announces his next crime via newspaper advertisement. He will. He will steal. I, I think it's supposed to be steal. Yeah. That's a that's a title. He will, he will steal the family jewels of Lord Wilmer at a such and uh, at such and such an hour at. At a such and such hour? At such and such an hour. At such and such an hour. Baxter and his fellow policemen stand guard at Lord Wilmer's side at his mansion, waiting for Lister to appear, but he never does. Just when he is about to dismiss the incident as a hoax, Baxter hears muffled cries and discovers the real Lord Wilmer, Wilmer, bound and gagged in a wardrobe. Lister had been impersonating him the entire night, and the real jewels had already been replaced with identical duplicates. Baxter realizes that the mansion is rigged to explode and barely ex- escapes with his life. This is the only surviving Lister film. Mm. Mm. This is already reading like a loop on the third episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very, very for- formulaic. You can tell what's interesting is from that second story, This, uh, the stakes are a little higher in that one. Yeah. Yep. I definitely get in the the loop on tones though, and they, it's funny that they make that reference earlier as well. Again, yeah, that's just the famous French thief, you know, Arsene Lupin. Yep. All right, so got it just there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Number three, Lister in America. Detective Baxter receives a tip that Lister is hiding in the United States. Baxter boards an ocean liner, but halfway across the Atlantic, the voyage begins to go horribly awry. The passengers are falling mysteriously ill. It seems that Lister has planted plague-infested rats on board, presumably in an attempt to assassinate Baxter. Upon his arrival in New York, Baxter is swiftly arrested for a series of murders that Lister committed, and a local judge, really Lister in disguise, sentences him to death by hanging. Baxter makes a desperate escape through the sewer system and emerges into the night air, where he is greeted with the sight of Lister taunting him from a rooftop. He is wearing his iconic costume, a black cloak, black gloves, and a black executioner's mask. Lister mockingly crosses and extends his wrists, as if daring Baxter to arrest him. He's getting darker. 
<laughs> wait, wait. His iconic, his iconic outfit is an executioner's mask. Apparently, that doesn't seem very nice. <laughs> I don't think that's something a flamboyant thief would wear. Well, it's it's like uh, I think we're, we're definitely we're definitely it's definitely getting a lot more like you know originally it was like haha funny crime and then or you know haha outwitting crime and then the next one has an exploding mansion. This one. Damn, slow death by plague rats on a ship. Yeah, he's killing all of innocent people just to ruin Baxter's day. Uh-huh. This is like Les Miserables taken to the extreme. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe, uh, maybe if they remade this, uh, Lister would be played by, uh, I don't know, Russell Crowe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, no, so, well, like I said, uh, I, I, I actually like the, I like how the, the sort of, you know, sometimes when they when they do these like things or things are started getting more seriously with sinister with each uh, film that gets released. Yeah. Uh, normally, it's like really kind of there's no reason that they should be arranged in the order they are as a sliding scale of like uh oh. But I feel like because of the order the movies are these are the mo- order the movies were produced, you're definitely getting a sense of something's going something's some weirds going on here. You know, it it really kind of reminds me of. Um... A, what was it called? The one by Slime Beast, a suggestion box or another suggestion? Oh yeah, a few suggestions. Yeah, where, where things continuously get you know start kind of normal, then something weird happens, and then by the end it's pure chaos. I suspect that's what the end is going to be like. Mm-hmm. We're going to have like a, a Candle Cove sort of like people screaming, cut to static. Snape's going to kill Dumbledore. No, th- nothing makes any sense. <laughs> what we're going to be seeing next. <laughs> um yeah no that's um i i it's pretty much basically that's a that's a model a definite model for that that you could cite as a as a source Just think about that hmm oh it's my turn isn't it <laughs> it is it is sorry i'm like i'm like sitting here like must avoid awkward pauses oh wait it's my turn okay it's all I'm right not... we officially passed the pitch pipe to you oh thank you <clears throat> Da- I'm probably gonna but- butcher the pronunciation here. Let Dastalich. We've done that so far, so go ahead. Dastalich parfum, the deadly perfume. Detective Baxter investigates a series of grisly murders. Someone has been replacing department store perfume with sulfuric acid, result- <gasps> resulting in dozens of deaths and disfigurements. In order to uncover the truth, Baxter forms an alliance with a young woman who claims to have been Lord Lister's lover. Despite being a married man, Baxter soon begins to succumb to her charms as well. The film ends with a shocking scene. Due to the machinations of Lister, Baxter is forced to allow the young woman to be run over by a train in order to avert an accident that would have killed hundreds of people. Just like that Star Trek episode, City on the Edge of Forever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Beautiful. I see nothing wrong with that. He made the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yes. I mean, you know, it's a it's a tough call. It's still a tough call, but you know, it's uh, it, it's pulling a pulling a what do you call it? Gambit thing. I don't know. Uh I'm sorry. I mean, I'm struggling here. <laughs> what 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 that is? What you, what you're reading is like a. Uh, I believe it, there's a thing called the psychopath, uh, the psychopath test, and you know how how you're supposed to like pass it or fail it. It takes that same scenario, right? Mm-hmm. So, 
I guess I guess where the the normal person and the sociopath diverge is uh, let's say you have to pull a switch to do that. Everyone can pull a switch, but they change the the uh, the they change it so that you have to push someone over. You have to physically push someone in the way in order to prevent that. Oh, and that's where it diverges. Like everyone can do what you're reading there. Everyone can what what psychology has stated that everyone can do that if you if you're far away and you pull a fucking lever when right. you're told it's going to happen, but not everyone can push the fat man in front of the train to prevent that from happening. Right. That's where the, the sociopath and the common man diverge. Mm. So you gotta wonder then, uh, which one then is 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 Baxter here? <laughs> Yeah, we don't know because we didn't actually know the, the full extent of that. But we, we want to find out. Mm-hmm. Like right now. Oh, yeah. Like, for example, with the fifth movie, which I believe we're back at the top of the order again. So I, I think it's called Die Charente Liche. The Screaming Corpse. Chalupa. Chalupa. <laughs> <laughs> Little is known about the contents of this particular film. As, as contemporary reviews contain little but exclamations of disapproval, it is known to be a chronicle of Baxter's descent into alcoholism and depression after his repeated failures to capture Lister. The plot reportedly involved a deadly fire in the opera house and a surreal scene where Lister wears a mask, man's uh, wears a man's flesh as a mask. Oh, that's that's Iron Man, Demon in a Bottle, Inglorious Bastards. And Silence of the Lambs rolled into one. It's a trifecta. And all made in the uh, silent era. Right? Yep. They knew what they were doing back then. They were the champions. <laughs> really, clearly, every film ever after that is just ripping off ripping off the Lister films. Uh, clearly. I, I, <laughs> we, see, we, we see Zenigata. We see Inspector Gadget. We see, who else? Who's incompetent cop? Uh, Think about it. Zalistum, uh, Phil. You're the list. The Reno 911 cops. Oh man, it's all it's all taken from Baxter. Don't you yeah. see? <laughs> he is the uh, archetype creator. Quimby. From no. Substance. No. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. you could be Quimby. Not Quimby. Uh, you no, can... fucking. What's who? Who did? Wiggum. Uh, yeah, Wiggum. Quimby. Please. The mayor. <laughs> We're getting so sidetracked. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Inspector Clouseau uh, from uh, the Pink Panther. That's right. There you go. Uh, uh, yeah. Who's the, the the FBI agent in Muppets Most Wanted? That was with Sam the Eagle. <clears throat> oh shit, I don't remember oh, that. Oh, uh, I know who you're talking I think about. Captain Kirk played cop. Yeah, Captain Kirk played T.J. Hooker. T.J. Hooker, yeah, that's yeah, T.J. Hooker. <laughs> uh, the the one character that is missing from here is like the sultry romantic interest that always accompanies a gentleman thief. Right. Like Sherlock Holmes had what's her name? Fumiko. Now Fujiko. Now Fujiko. It is like Fujiko. Yeah. I can't think of her name right now. God, what was her name? Eh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, you're talking about for Sherlock Holmes, or you're talking about yeah, Lupin? Because yeah. now I'm like wondering Lupin, how... Fujiko, Sherlock Holmes is... Irene Adler. Uh, Adler. Adler is how I remember, because I had a friend named Adler. Mm. Who had who had a friend whose last name was Holmes, and they were rivals. Well, oh. <laughs> they were both ladies. Oh. Even more Whoa. All right, Effie, you're up. You ready for this? Go. <laughs> go, friend, go. I yes, I you're up this. to it. Yeah. All right. Be afraid now. Despite, or perhaps because of, their often morbid content, 
The films were quite, po- quite popular with the contemporary viewing public. One might consider them the saw of their day. As you might have guessed, the increasing darkness of Winkle, uh, Winkleman's films was accompanied by a corresponding crisis in his personal life. The affair between Winkleman's wife, Greta, and his closest friend, Olaf Schneider. Winkleman seems to have known of the affair and tactfully accepted it. Although eventually, this seems to have taken a considerable toll on his already fragile psyche. In a letter to his cousin, dated October 13, 1923, Winkleman writes, And why shouldn't she prefer him? A man like him can offer what I, with my frail body and lacerated soul, could never hope to give her. My dark muse has seized control of my life. I am powerless to do anything but obey its commands. All because these hoes ain't loyal. I can, you know, what's, what's funny is, um, I can believe it because that sounds like a, a letter someone would translate from German, in you know, especially something written in 1923. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm it, still it buying kind of... it. I'm still like I can suspend disbelief pretty easily with this mo- with this story. It comes back. Um, it comes back super proper. You know. Yeah. No, it does. I I, I like that. There there are many like German phrases that can't even be like translated into English because of its its complex uh, complexity. Right. What I what I like is again is that sometimes I feel like people try to do this sort of like this sort of language in other stories and it comes off as really verbose and awkward. But the uh, the both the time and the place of this story give the give the letter kind of credibility, you know, or yeah. give that language he's using in the letter kind of uh, credibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, someone gets a really short one coming up. Oh, it's my turn. Yes. You take both, Phil. You just want to take the one. No, I'm just, I'm gonna be greedy. I'll just take the one. Okay. You know. Okay. Unless you want to take two. It's okay. I'll, I'll just had a long night. Okay. So, all right. Fine. All right. All right. All right. This state of affairs continued for some time before an unthinkable tragedy put an end to both the Lord Lister serial and Winkleman's partnership with Schneider, at least for the time being. Mm. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. In December of 1923, Winkleman was away on business in Frankfurt, having left his 18-month-old son alone with his wife. The live-in housekeeper was away visiting her sister. According to the report that a distraught Greta letter gave the police, she and Schneider were making love in the bedroom when suddenly she heard a loud thud from the child's room. Her son had evidently climbed out of his crib, breaking his neck. Naturally, this created a gigantic scandal, and no one was particularly surprised when Greta disappeared one day, presumably to start a new life under an assumed name. As for Schneider, he emigrated soon thereafter to the United States, where he dropped out of the public eye. Ooh. That's a good backstory. I like that. Yeah. Details. Uh, I'm loving the details. Yeah, th- this thing paints itself as realistic rather than unbelievable, mm-hmm. which is I, I don't see that happening often in the realm of the the creepy pasties. The crap. The the crap. Cr- yeah. The I, I tried pasties. to make a pun and I failed, and I'm so I'm just gonna go sit in my corner now. That's okay. I still believe in you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Despite the horrendous personal tragedy, tragedies that had befallen him, Winkleman held up as well as he could be imagined in the circumstances. Although he had been a doting father, <clears throat> at least he was not distracted by his filmmaking career. He managed to bear his grief with a certain quiet dignity, even founding out his own film company. He even fa- founding his own film company a few months later. 
Wegelman's studio was relatively successful at first, turning out several lucrative, if unremarkable, films. A few years after his son's death, however, strange rumors began circulating around Winkleman. It was said that he was he it was said that he had fired most of his staff and spent his days wandering around his empty, decrepit film shot. In an interview with Volshot Vsizudnin Zaitung 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 Dating to six months before his death, Winkleman claimed that he had, he had fully forgiven Schneider and rather unsurprisingly had corresponded with him and planned on taking uh, and planned. Uh, no, I'm just flooding all over this and planned for them to make a film together. To the surprise and later dismay of his viewing viewing public, the final uh, the final installment of Lord Lister's saga, entitled Lister Lister's Rosh or Lister's Revenge, was released in 1927. Title drop! This is Damn, this is a part where he gets he gets his his delicious revenge here. I bet on uh, on Mister Schneider. Bar flavored revenge. <laughs> it's over. It's over, Schneider <laughs> man. Doesn't even know. Does Baxter these days? They don't know. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Uh, Lister's race was screened in only a few theaters before being permanently withdrawn from circulation. The film, only forty minutes long, was much more uh, what was much more surreal and expressionistic than any any previous installment in the series, and much more unsettling. Contemporary accounts, though doubtless ex- doubtlessly exaggerated, mentioned feigning fits and worse and worse at advanced screenings of the film. According to the contemporary newspaper reports, the film begins with an inter, inter-, uh, inter- uh, with an intertitle explaining that Detective Baxter has lost his job with Scotland Yard and been abandoned by his family. Damn. Baxter is shown in a dirty, disordered apartment room, sitting at a writing desk. There is no other furniture around him. Baxter is writing a note with was, was contents we do not see and weeping all the while. He is surrounded by empty beer bottles and his appearance is unkept and dis, uh, disheveled. The crying scene continues for an uncomfortably long time, after which Baxter leaves his apartment and wanders through the streets of London. The city is represented by a series of surreal matte paintings, reportedly very much in the style of... Uh, Des Cabinet des Dr. Caligari, full of, uh, full of absurd angles that would be impossible in reality. Sinister shapes can be discerned in the background, hanged bodies, weeping, disfigured faces, etc. Who's seen, uh, you guys have, have you guys seen Do- The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari? I've no. seen a bit of it. No, I haven't. Uh, it's, a, it's a German, like, uh, expression, what, like, Fuck, I forgot. It's, so it's an expressionist art film of some yes. kind? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's uh, A lot of people consider it one of the first uh, real horror movies in a, in a lot of ways. Since it has to deal with, like, uh, it, it deals with, like, a hypnotist and his weird, like, creepy servant. And it's it's interesting. Check it out. Insanity. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, it's, it's very, it's, it's a very <laughs> influential film. And I actually really like that they drop uh, Caligari in here. Shit. I'll give that a look. That sounds interesting. Say anything like that. Yeah. Uh, 
All right. Detective Baxter finally pauses in the middle of a tall bridge, contemplating the rough waters and jagged rocks below. It is clear that he is considering suicide. Good thing he doesn't call the suicide hotline or he might get the wrong number. Oh, oh reference. Oh, it's a drop to us. Yep. Yeah, I wrote that episode. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, a dark shape materializes at the other end of the bridge. It is Lister, wearing his usual executioner's hood and cloak. Lister shouts, jump, via an intertitle, of course. And Baxter, after a moment's pause, manages to gather his resolve and chase after his nemesis. After a brief chase scene, Lister leaps into an enormous sinkhole, Baxter following close behind. In the next scene, the detective finds himself in an enormous cavern, presumably the master, uh, presumably the master criminal's base of operations. It becomes clear that the cavern is filled with furniture, a dining table with chairs, a wardrobe, a wash basin, even a bookcase. Baxter cautiously approaches the table, soon realizing to his horror that all of the furniture appears to be made of human bone. In the center of the cavern is an enormous pile of human body parts, casually stacked together like a compost heap. Baxter recoils in horror and attempts to run back to the entrance of the cavern, but it is too late. Lister, with two other masked men on either side of him, is swiftly approaching, carrying an axe. We see their shadows on the wall of the cavern encroach on the detectives, finally engulfing it completely. Ooh. Uh, ramping whoa. it up, ramping it up. Yep. Cut to black right there. Mm, to black. What, I, what I really like, and again, the context, having Caligari as a context clue here is really important, because if you've seen any silent films, you have a sense of what those films kind of look like. Yeah, well, Fritz Lang is Metropolis, right? So that's I, I true. They, they name dropped Fr- Fritz Lang earlier too. Yeah, I noticed that, and I was like, "Oh, that's pretty interesting." So yeah, the, in fact, I think I saw title cards are often used like to a terrible amount, as I understand in these films. Like they cut to them all the time. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because I only saw it like happen once so far while, while reading the under the under title. Yeah, well, this is the first film that they've really described in in any detail. Yeah, yeah. The other sure. ones are just kind of summaries. Yeah. yeah. But to to me, what's effective about the imagery here is picturing that sort of either Caligarian or or Fritz Lang and have that grainy, you know, old film quality where the shadows are really weird and the the contrast is way off, and you know, you're it's it's through through a projector, and that makes it even more effective when you have all these these surreal images coming across, you know. Yeah. Surreal and frightening, I should say. Speaking of which, uh, the scene shifts yet again. Detective Baxter is shown inside a damp dungeon of sorts, his hands and feet manacled to the wall. He's bruised and bloodied. A large metal door swings open and Lister reappears, still accompanied by his two masked henchmen. One of said henchmen is carrying a struggling, wriggling form, a blindfolded little girl, about ten years of age. Lister tells Baxter... Now you and your daughter will be reunited, just as you wished. With that, the two masked thugs hold the screaming and kicking little girl down on the ground, while Lister withdraws a butcher knife from somewhere within his cloak and calmly, methodically slashes her throat. The two masked henchmen then place the dying little girl opposite the distraught Detective Baxter. Blood is oozing from her mouth and throat, but she is still breathing slightly. Lister declares, Leave him to his fate. The three masked men exit the room leaving Baxter to watch helplessly as his daughter breathes her last. Damn, Baxter. Why? 
why does he have to suffer like this? He's just a bumbling detective trying to do his job. Uh, there's there's definitely more going on here than, you know... <laughs> so who... Yeah, long section. Okay. So you're, you got this, bud. I got this. You got this. You got this. This is easy street. I'm, I'm not a bumbling moron. <laughs> No. An air title announces that three weeks have passed, and Baxter is still chained where Lord Lester left him. His clothes are ragged, his skin is covered in bruises and blisters, and his eyes have a wild, haunted look. Across from him is the corpse of his daughter, bloated and blackened. The iron door slowly cre- uh, creeps open, and Lord Lister reappears, once again sh- uh, shadowed by his two masked accomplices. This time... He's carrying what appears to be a burlap sack. The two henchmen unchain Baxter and attempt to strangle. Uh, the two un, the two henchmen unchain Baxter. He attempts to strangle Lister, but in his pathetically weakened state, he is easily restrained. Lord Lister slowly pulls an object from the sack. It is a long-haired human head, still dripping blood. Kiss your wife, Lister exclaims. Oh, <laughs> A horrified Baxter refuses, but the henchmen punch him into submission and restrain his arms. Lister forces the severed heads, the severed heads of lips against Baxter's, and the latter retching. retching all the while. Baxter is then returned to his restraints, and the two accomplices proceed to savagely beat him with a nail-studded wooden plank, while Lister looks on. <laughs> Why? Baxter! <laughs> Lord Lister mentions... Lord, I'm so sorry. Lord Lister uh, emotions for his men to, to stop beating, and then Baxter looks up with the dying eyes of his tormentor, lying in a pool of his own blood. Do you realize now why you will never manage to catch me? Why you've never won? How you could have never won? Lister says... Lord Lister begins to peel off his hood and turns around to the camera directly. We see his true face for the first time, or rather, the space where one should be, for Lister does not possess one at all. His face is blank, is a blank wall of flesh with nothing, with nothing at all to mark on it as human, except for a gaping black mouth. I am lost, he says, drifting closer and closer towards the camera, as if threatening to break it. Lord Lester's jaw opens wider and wider, far wider than it should be humanly possible. It reaches almost down to his waist, as if threatening to engulf the audience and the whole world. And with that image, the film abruptly ends. It's just like that Dick Tracy villain. No thanks. <laughs> Woo! Baxter, man. Baxter's <laughs> having a bad day. This bad day won't end. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Bones' wild ride doesn't stop for him. Yeah, forget our Halloween special. This is one bad day. Mr. Bones <laughs> says the ride never ends. I just want off the ride now. <laughs> I want to get off Mr. Bones' wild ride. <laughs> someone, you know, someone once wrote... I'm going to segue here real quick, and then I want to talk about this. Someone once wrote a, a really terrible crappy pasta about Mr. Bones' wild ride. Yeah, I, I've seen the YouTube videos of people producing it in a Tycoon where it takes, like, years to get off the ride. Yeah. That's very funny. 
I mean, that would that would that's hilarious. But someone actually tried to write a creepy pasta about that idea. Yeah, and it was terrible. Yeah, I, mean, I went to an amusement park and I was like laughing at the idea that I had done this Mr. Bones thing, but then it was real. <gasps> ah! It it said the, who's the phone all over again. Yeah, or who was phone? I would hope it's a troll pasta. Um, oh oh oh. Uh, I think. I think we. Uh, I think we should. Do you think we should press on, or do we want to talk about that intense film we just hypothetically watched? Um, <laughs> it is is fairly horrifying that a a a fleshy, faceless, gaped mod villain is torturing Baxter to the point of suicide. Um, it is really unfortunate that Baxter has to suffer like this. Is true. I don't know why it's happening. It's making me feel bad. It's making me feel bad. Gotta say that. There will probably be some. Uh, there, there, there will be some more context clues uh, further down. I'm thinking, you know, as to why this happened. But uh, yeah, as, as the viewing audience who doesn't have that context is like, what, what, what? But, but we like Baxter. What's happening? Yeah, uh, I don't hate him to the. He's supposed to be the foil. But he's not even a foil at this point, is he? No. It's more like like tin foil being crushed <laughs> instead of instead of providing providing a, a, a dastardly but lovable uh, cohort not cohort but opposite to Lister. Yeah. Um, Jesus. <laughs> But and it's funny because because again like in the early films it's like said oh yeah so here's here's Lister and we were supposed to like enjoy his antics and see Baxter as this bumbling but lovable character and then and then um, Lister becomes more of a proper villain and and Baxter becomes sort of like they said in the thing a tragic hero so we're definitely getting that laid out and here now it's just again it's just it's just a terrible and you, you got to wonder how this flew back then but then also. We didn't have the same ratings codes, so yeah, someone could have totally made a movie like this. Yeah, MPA wasn't introduced until like the 1980s. That's right. I mean, you think about some of the films that. Um, oh gosh, there was a there's a famous film that had some that was made around the same time that had a lot of like it, the 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 film was intentionally made to piss people off. It had all kinds of stuff that was considered morally abhorrent in it, but uh, I don't remember what that movie was. Was it Caligula? Was it, it was no, no, it was not Caligula. Okay, it was not Caligula. I'm talking about way back ago. Oh, way back ago, like Silent Era. Yeah, something along something along those lines. I'll look it up and uh, oh. find it later. Uh, but I, I don't know. Anyway, let's see if we can get the rest of that context. Uh, we have. Uh, you want to take these next two paragraphs since one of them is really like hard, just a sentence. Sentence. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do that. All right. Cool. As mentioned above, Lister's race was a resigning failure with the audience at advanced screenings. It was quickly pulled from most theaters. Evidently, the film was too much, even for a even for a movie movie-going public that had made Winkleman a wealthy man for his early forays into aestheticized violence. Audiences had found the film's gore uh, gore effects to be disturbingly convincing. So convincing, in fact, that many suspected that they were not effects at all, and a warrant was soon issued for Winkleman's arrest. After the, after the police had searched in vain for Winkleman at his home, a fire was reported at his downtown film studio. Several hours later, Winkleman's body 
having been pulled from the smoldering ruins of the of his fi- filmstadt. Filmstadt. Filmstadt was identified using his fingerprints. Those garments were badly burned. His appearance had been dressed in black. The bodies of Olaf Schneider, his 10-year-old daughter, and his former lover, Greta Winkleman, were never recovered. There it is. There it is, right there. Sweet revenge. Except for the 10-year-old daughter. Right. Well, that that was... that um, She was a casualty in the revenge scheme of this horrible, horrible film director who... Or brilliant <laughs> director, quite odd, I mean... Right. Depends on how much you like snuff films. <laughs> Apparently, we made one last year, so... Okay. We won second place. We did. We won first place. That, that, they were disqualified. We won. Oh. Yeah, uh, we won a, a horror film festival on Halloween. We won the ninth annual Berkeley Horror Film Festival for Tolerance. So Nice, play, nice. We're filmmakers now. Well done. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, I remember watching that one and being like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Mostly cringing at everything that was done. Yeah, that was, that was the idea. Which is good. You did. You done that part right. You done it correct. There we go. We should make another snuff film. Can we just back away from the snuff film? <laughs> oh Why don't you guys make this film? Why don't you guys make Lister's Rage? <laughs> we, we could. We could probably use some pieces of this film pretty easily. We probably could. Are you guys familiar with the Guinea Pig series? Never heard of it. Never heard of it. No. Uh, this like. The set of like Japanese like horror films that, like two I think of which were essentially snuff films. One of them was called The Flowers of the Flesh and Blood. Uh-huh. It's essentially just it's a video of a guy dressed as a samurai chopping up some woman. Really? Uh, I think Charlie Sheen thought it was a real thing, right. so he called the cops about it because he thought it was an actual snuff film. Okay. <laughs> Leave it to Charlie Sheen. <laughs> I mean, I, I love, you know, I think manga and anime do horror really fucking well. Um, oh, yeah. I, um, I, one of my uh, one of my favorite uh, series of all time in terms of anime is Paranoia Agent. Oh, yeah. That's, that's psychologically really uh, Satoshi uh, Khan, right? Yeah. Satoshi Khan's the man. Yeah, too bad he died. Satoshi Khan was the man. <laughs> he still has a new uh, series that's going to come out soon. Oh, yeah? That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. The last thing he worked on. Something, something dream, dream machine, dream device, something, shit. something like that. Something to do with paprika? Yeah, very similar. Very uh, Not exactly paprika, because they, they have the, the DS, it's called the DS Lite or the DC Lite. Oh, uh, yeah, the DC, DC Mini. DC Mini is what it was called. Yeah. And it's something similar to that, but it's a it's a series like Paranoia Agent. Oh, cool. like halfway through making that. Oh, nice. Well, I'll be looking forward to that then. Yeah, it's coming out soonish. Nice. All right, we're in the home stretch. Let's. Uh, you want to wrap this up and then engage discussion? Fills up to the plate. Get him, Phil. All right. Like, oh. like most of Winkleman's films, Lister's race has vanished almost without a trace. Some copies were lost in fires, an unfortunately very common occurrence as early film stock was highly flammable while others were deliberately destroyed. There is an interesting, though almost certainly acrophoreal anecdote in Christian... That's a long... Damn, God you damn, almost did it, right. too. You almost did it. I had the confidence, and I just... <laughs> and that long word about a rediscovered copy of Lister's Race, which bears repeating here, if only for its dramatic interest. In 1974, so the story goes, Peter Fleischer 
an Austrian film collector, acquired a copy of Lister's Reich at an auction. After viewing the film on his private projector, he began to experience headaches, nausea, and finally, hallucinations. He reported seeing a figure in a black cloak out of the corner of his eye, but the figure would vanish as soon as he turned his head. At first, this figure would appear to be far away, but it seemed to come closer over time. Eventually, Fleischer began to suffer from insomnia. The figure would stand over his bed at night, but disappear as soon as the light switch was turned on. Every appearance of this figure would cause a feeling of intense despair and dread in Fleischer. After several weeks of agony, Fleischer finally burnt the film reel in his fireplace. The hallucinations ended, but an inexplicable smell of charred flesh lingered over the chimney. Like that. Now so, we're getting into really spooky spooks. All the spooks coming. All the so, spooks so, coming out. Is that, that, is, that, spooks? is that suggesting that the film is haunted? Or at least the film is cursed. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, consider, okay, taking the, uh, taking some of it out of context, we do have three, very likely three genuine murders associated with this movie, you know? And all these tragedies leading up to it as well. Yeah. So, um, and not, and Winkleman, even if that wasn't the case, uh, like assuming that maybe it was, it's all conjecture. Winkleman himself died in a studio fire in the studio fire. So, mm, mm, mm. that even hit me right till right now. That the Lister's curse. It is the curse. The the same book also offers a stra- rather strange urban legend concerning an alleged curse. Yeah, there you go. That hung over the life of Kai Winkleman. While serving on the Russian front during World War One, so the story goes, a dying prisoner of Romani descent who had been captured after a particularly bloody skirmish cast the evil eye on the young lieutenant. The weight of the deaths you have caused will follow you like a cloud, the man is reported to have said. Perhaps that was the dark muse Winkleman spoke of in his letters? It bears mentioning here that Winkleman's sketchbook from his stay in the Veterans Hospital contains numerous line drawings of a faceless, cloaked figure. Hmm. I like that imagery a lot. The faceless cloaked figure? The, yeah, the, the sketchbook of, of a crazy man's ramblings. I like that. I like that a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's something... It's I When you mentioned that we could cover something like this, that's like something that I could, I could reproduce. Yeah. That's, that's the only reason I was thinking about it. This is sort of... All this is really just an exaggerated film pitch to you guys. This is like an elevator <laughs> pitch, and I'm like, okay, so, can you do it? <laughs> <laughs> no. We've been tricked. <laughs> You've been duped. Well, flim flammed. Here it is. <laughs> um, you, uh, you, uh, uh, Chad, you want to close this out? Sure. This last final, this last paragraph. Regardless of what you think of the supernatural, ask yourself this: Who is more real, Hamlet or Shakespeare? Dickens or Oliver Twist? Charles Foster Kane? or Orson Welles. Some fictional characters have more life in them than you or I have. Mm. And that... Oh. And that is Lister's Rage by Lucretius. I like that a lot. Yeah. It makes you feel ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, like I said, I wanted to save my opinion to that, but I really like this story. Um, very entertaining. Yeah. Very well-read. It, it, it reads like an actual, as if you if you found some sort of 
not not to you know lowball it, but it's like an internet news article. Like if you're researching his films, this is something you pop up on. You go, oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. You know what's funny too is uh, there's a there's a note here, and I'm reading this on creepypasta.com. This pasta is a crappy pasta success story. That means that it received enough upvotes during its time on crappy pasta for it to be posted on the main archive. Shows you how uh, how um, the community is detached from reality. <laughs> <laughs> well, the community is the community is definitely detached from reality, considering how popular Jeff the Killer remains. Is it? I know. I can't. Such a crappy revenge. <laughs> this is it's, a much better revenge story right here. Yeah, a lot more entertaining and relate. Well, not related. Well, sure, relatable because I don't really relate to Jeff the Killer. Um, but, yeah, no, not really. <laughs> Only like, uh, well, okay. Again, I don't like. I don't want to criticize people who like Jeff the Killer, but I have so many questions for you if you like Jeff the Killer. <laughs> yeah, he, he's one of the faces, right? He's he's. Uh, he's not the Mickey Mouse, but he's up there. Yeah, the the Mickey Mouse would be uh, old Slendy. Yeah, yeah. And that's unfortunate for Slendy too, since he's not really creepy pasta in the grand scheme of things. Oh no, he was he was a internet. But what was it? Make this picture scary. That's how he started out, right? Yeah, it was from the something something awful uh, forums. Something awful. It was a something awful competition of some sort. Yeah. Um, don't take my word for it, though. Actually, uh, Dead Palette has a good video where he analyzes Slenderman in his original context. Hmm. I think I've seen that. It was good. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed I've it. I've seen that. Yeah. So, I, uh, so individually, I, though, uh, thoughts on the story or what works, maybe what doesn't, if there's uh, things that don't work? I mean, there's some fantastic imagery in there, um, especially with it being the period piece and the silent films. And the way the sound films progress, um, yeah, the imagery is freaking fantastic. Mm-hmm. You got anything, Efren? Oh, I, I mean, I, all, I, all, I thought it was really good. Uh, again, the imagery was really great. I, I like the, I really like the progression of each of the films going from uh, a bit lighthearted to just getting a lot darker. Yeah, it starts off as you know, Lister and the Sorcerer Stone. And ends up with Starts Baxter and the Deathly Hollows Part it's, Two. It's start, <laughs> start because it starts off very looping the third. Yeah, and then it just goes in a completely darker direction from that. You know, um, one thing I, I do like about this story is I think one of the reasons it became a crap house is you can you can see it, it eases us into the story enough. I feel that when the sort of cliche of a of a faceless entity with a mouth comes up. Like, it's been built up to so effectively that it's not just like, oh, okay, we've seen this a million times before. To me, it actually works, that image, because we've had enough sufficient build-up to it. The idea, like, the long, the the sort of setup with the executioner's hood, and then, like, the revelation of the identity, and then it, it also uh, clashing with... Um, what we know, like we do, we was that just a film trick? Was there actually an entity? Was are, is everything distorted? There's it leaves you with just enough questions, but it also enough inference to get, have a sense of what really happened, probably. And it, yeah. I like that it also leaves you with a couple clues, like the whole thing about the the Romani curse and uh, you know those other things. Um, one, one, you know, I have a notoriously short attention span and inability to like 
sit there and digest long stories. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a very big fan of like normal porn or normal people or abandoned by Disney. Yeah. But why? Why read this? I didn't feel like my time was wasted. Um, like you do when you read Abandoned by Disney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not that you know, Slime Beast is very good at what he does. I don't like. I hate the ending of Abandoned by Disney. Yeah. It has really great build. And to to a very cliche Mickey Mouse. Pulling off his own head. Twisting and, it around. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, that th- that's not for me. But this has kind of a similar twist. But you don't expect anything because it's just... It's the, it's the villain, right? So you already have a poor opinion of the guy. You already know he's bad. So it's yeah. not shocking he takes off his hood and he's the evil creature. Right. Right. But it's like it's it's what's what's creepy is that again like so much of it it's like you're thinking about it with the context of the times you're like whoa that's a special effect I'm not sure they should they could have pulled off that well you know yeah exactly yeah no I mean it to- it totally makes you think that it's some sort of surreal I don't know what what it could be honestly like yeah well it's kind of a universe yeah well wasn't it like that it was was it Cannibal Holocaust where it was it was so realistic that people thought people were actually like murdered on film and they had to investigate the filmmakers oh yeah yeah you know, that, that's kind of like what this was yeah. oh because they they mentioned that where they're just like too real to be put on film <laughs> yeah because you 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 gotta wonder if what you saw there was was not Baxter but Olaf Schneider you know, being beaten and tortured by these, these people and having his, his real daughter and, uh, you know, and Winkleman's former, former wife, you know, being, being killed as part of the, part of this. And, uh, you know, the thing about finding Winkleman with the black cloak, you're like, was, was Winkleman Lister the whole time? Yeah. In that one, or at least in that one, because he's like the representation because he had, he had the, the affair, right? So he's like the, the embodiment of evil in 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 uh, in his mind, right? And it's 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 and you know it, it, this comes off again. Uh, he's the embodiment of evil, and maybe he managed to get that across in his film. Uh, and it's an extent. I mean, there's the to me the line that that seems significant is he just says, "I am loss" right after he pulls the thing off. You know, yeah. loss with the capital L. So whatever this thing is, is a personification of of everything that's kind of happened like the whole film but this thing in particular personification of everything that's happened to Winkleman over the course of his life you know yeah yeah so uh, it's, it's crazy his dark muse is a is a is a generic creepypasta monster that is delivered actually pretty effectively <laughs> it's all about the execution all about the execution um so now we come to the part of the show that I don't always bring up which is a certified freshness rating of the story. So uh, how do you how do you guys want to rate it? This is where we say it's like fresh or tasty or fresh, tasty, undercooked, bland. You know, like just give it, give it in food terms. Oh God, pretty pretty fresh. Yeah, it was it was pretty yeah. tasty. It was pretty tasty. I'd say fresh. Yeah, awesome. I'd say I'd say fresh, and uh, I'll take seconds, please. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so um, it's that uh, that was more fun than I was anticipating, even. So <laughs> yeah, because you, you went this blind, like hopefully it's not shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like well, why go through creepy pasta, you know? And I'm saying, like, oh no, did I really just waste ten minutes? 
Oh, jeez. Look up another one. And, you know, for every, like, 15 bad ones I find, I find one gem for what I think is acceptable. That's really the constant struggle I have as someone who has to, like, produce these things all the time. Is I have to keep digging and digging through a lot of creepypasta that are subpar or don't work for uh, the context of Midnight Marinera as a as radio play. But uh, every so often I find something like this and then I realize, ah, oh, damn it, I can't do this one. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's it's a news article, basically. And it's um, very, very visual. I mean, uh, th- yeah. how are you going to... I'm going to do a radio play about a silent film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there <does>. you go. <laughs> there goes a oxymoron if I've ever heard one. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. I'll just, I'll just uh, you know what? There you go. Uh, there's an April Fool's episode for the future. I'll tell people I'm adapting Lister's Rage and just have it be like like 40 minutes of silence. With maybe the sound of projector whirring in the background, <laughs> you'll you'll hear like the piano, the that, that old fashioned piano they played during the silent film era. <laughs> just like audience reactions, people gasping and <gasps> yeah, the sound of eventually people rioting, someone throwing up. Like, Sorry, missing footage. Theater screaming. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, Lister Lister's Rage, the radio play. We just presented it for you. <laughs> so, um. I, that basically concludes our session, but uh, before we go, um, I always like to say, hey, let's have some plugs, shall we? Uh, anything you guys want to promote besides the obvious, or do you uh, just want to promote the obvious? Uh, well, as we just wrapped our, our third season, uh, a.k.a. the best season. Uh, so we just had our new Halloween special, One Bad Day. Uh, last year's Halloween special just won uh, Berkeley Horror Film Festival, like we said earlier. So Oot. Frost Mini Fears, check us out. We got some great stuff coming down the pipeline eventually. Got a great backlog for you to check out. Um, we have our behind-the-scenes show, Unboxed, where I show you how we make our show. So hopefully you guys can get some ideas, make your own videos, improve the ones you already got, step everybody's game up, help the community. So mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I will. I, my only plug is to say, watch, watch these guys. Woo! Do it. They're great. Woo! I love their work. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad uh, you guys were able to join me for this. I really uh, appreciate it. Again, man. Yeah, yeah, this was fun. This yeah. Is, yeah, this is better than I. Yeah, I was expecting myself to train wreck on this. <laughs> well, maybe maybe next time we'll read a terrible story. But I, I figured for your first outing, I'd present something I'd read before that I really enjoyed and would throw it at you. Uh, yeah. And again, the film context I think kind of added to it. Yeah, definitely. No, yeah, I, I totally. It, it tugged at our, our, our filmography, cinematastic <laughs> heartstrings. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, until uh, next time, uh, say goodnight, guys. Hey, hey goodnight. Thanks good for watching. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.